Uh, years ago, I was, uh, I was in a band called Lights of Day. As we were preparing to embark on tour uh, through a myriad of churches and schools and music festivals, a guy in my church at the time, his, his name is Clay, he handed me an envelope with several thousand dollars in it. And I remember my jaw dropping to the floor as I opened this envelope and I asked him, Clay, why on earth are you giving this to me? And so see, behind the scenes at this time, Clay and his wife Lauren had their three kids crammed inside their very modest house. Their van and their truck were always in disrepair and in need of help. And Clay was working really hard to, to connect all those dots. Why on earth are you giving this to me, I, I asked. And so Clay answered. He said, Chris, my family and I are really, really behind the message of your music. And we hope that this will help you. If you are on the road and you experience any need, we hope that this helps you. Uh, the tour was a success, but that's not the point of the story. Uh, the point of the story is to set a tone uh, for this morning's passage, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Uh, in this passage that we're about to read, just like the story that I just told you of, of Clay and his wife Lauren, in this passage there are two, not one, two God-glorifying attitudes on display Two God-glorifying, joy-inducing attitudes that should be increasing in the life of every believer in this room. And so last week, as uh, well, our brother Ed Rocha wonderfully unpacked verses four through nine, as Paul urged the, the whole Philippian church to rejoice while prayerfully pursuing the peace of God in the midst of all the challenges they, they're facing. And now in verses 10 through 13, those are our verses this morning, Paul begins to conclude this joy-filled, Christ-exalting thank you letter to the Christians in Philippi. And so um, before we read, I'd invite you to pray with me and then we'll read together. Father, we ask that you would bless and use this reading of your word um, for your glory and for your shaping of us into the likeness of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if, if I had a nickel 
for every time an athletic team or a workout facility has misused Philippians 4.13 as their motto, I would be a very rich dude. I couldn't help myself this week. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. (laughs) I'm a prop guy now, Ed, so yeah. (laughs) And I know that probably some will take this as snarky. That's not the way that I mean it. Well, maybe not all the way. Maybe not all the way. Um, If we could just settle this once and for all, at least here at Oaks, when Paul declares that he can do all things through him, that is Christ, he's not talking about scoring the winning touchdown. He's not talking about squatting 500 pounds. Look, if we look at the context, and we always should, it's crystal clear. Paul is referring to contentment. He can be content in whatever season of life he is faced with because of Christ who strengthens him. He has dined at the fine restaurants of the Mediterranean. He has also been shipwrecked and snake-bitten and wrongly accused, and he's now awaiting possible execution under Roman house arrest. His point in Philippians 4.13 is that he can face all those scenarios, good, bad, and ugly, and so can we because of the merciful, supernatural strength that Christ supplies us. So I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'm a little bit angsty, a little antsy to set the record straight on this verse. Once again, on display in the passage we've just read, we see two God-glorifying attitudes, and we would be wise to examine and to embrace them. And so we will. For the remainder of our time, here's my outline. Point number one, concernment. Point number two, contentment. Let's dive in. Number one, concernment. And what I, what I mean by that is the posture and the practice of being genuinely concerned for others. Look at verse 10. So Paul rejoices greatly, but why? Well, because the Philippians have rekindled and demonstrated their concern for him. They've delivered to him by the hand of their messenger Epaphroditus a financial care package. And it's not so pa- uh, Paul could go out and get a new chariot or a, or a spiffy Roman toga. Uh-uh. Remember what we learned back in Acts 28. Paul is living under house arrest at his own expense. He can't leave to make money. He's a prisoner. And yet being a prisoner is costing him money. It's an odd situation, and no wonder he rejoices. The Philippians have revived their concern for him. The second half of verse 10, Paul acknowledges they've always been concerned for him throughout this whole ordeal of his, but they hadn't had the opportunity to demonstrate their concern for him until now. And the reason for that could be that until Epaphroditus... None of them was able to travel the long distance from Philippi to Rome to deliver their gift to Paul, but it also could be due to their extreme poverty. In 2 Corinthians 8, we read that the persecution that the churches in Macedonia, which includes Philippi, the persecution that they are facing is reducing many of the Philippians to abject poverty. And yet, 
their concern for Paul. Now back to my friends, Clay and Lauren. They certainly weren't impoverished, but they did have dozens, dozens of their own concerns, and yet they showed concern for me. And it, it ought to beg the question, where on earth does this mindset come from? Because this isn't our default way of thinking. Not sons and daughters of Adam. I did a Google search this week to see what our fallen world has to say about contentment. Or no, concernment. We're on point number one. Concernment. And here are some of the top quotes concerning concernment. Dear you, focus on yourself. Focus on yourself. Focus on yourself. Be so busy competing for your life. You don't have time for hate, regret, worry, or fret. And my favorite, everything in life is easier when you don't concern yourself with everybody else. Woe is the mindset of fallen man, but oh is the mindset of the God-man who says to us, the greatest among you is the servant. If anyone would be first, he must become last. Because greater love knows no one than this, than he who lays down his life for the sake of his friends. Jesus, again, this is my commandment that you love and you serve one another as I have loved and served you. Truly, I tell you, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So those who have ears to hear, let us hear that being concerned for others is a divine precept that carries a dependable promise from God. When we love and serve others as we have been commanded, we discover it is more blessed to give than to receive. The Philippians understood this as we see in our passage. Clay and Lauren, my friends, understood this. Heck, already in this letter, Paul clearly understands this. Just read back through chapter two. I think many, though, do not understand, but I have a praise report. I think many of you do. I think many on, in, this, in this congregation, Lord, I, I, I think we are on the precipice of a real movement here at Oaks. I, I'm hearing stuff left and right. You're giving one another rides. You're helping one another to move. You're cooking one another meals. You're watching one another's kids. You're writing to one another, encouraging notes. You're calling one another back into fellowship with the saints. You're listening to one another's hurts. You're praying for one another's needs. You're supplying one another's lack. There isn't a week that goes by where I don't hear a praise report of this nature and we need to celebrate what we hope to cultivate. Hallelujah. 
happening. And just the other week, the man who owns this building, whom we lease this building from, he said something to me. He said, Chris, I don't know what's going on. Every time I meet someone from your church, it blows me away with how kind and considerate and thoughtful that they are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I said, well, I know what's going on. I I told him, I know what's going on. We're trying to butter you up for lower rent. (laughs) No, I said, praise God. I said to him, it's not a believer. Praise God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly as Paul does in verse 10. And notice with me how Paul does not rejoice in the Philippians themselves. Not once. See, if the Philippians, if anyone is left to themselves, we'd have little to no genuine concern for anyone else because that's the way of fallen man. But Paul doesn't greatly rejoice in the Philippians. He he greatly rejoices in the Lord because the Lord, through his victorious life, death, and resurrection, has freed the Philippians from the bondage of self-focus and has ushered them into the realm, the world of Christ's likeness and others' focus. And here at Oaks, look, I know we've got a lot, and starting with me, I got a lot of growing and learning and maturing to do, but sweet mercy, there is fruit of true belief amongst us. That's exciting. Genuine concernment and genuine joy are present amongst us, and may it increase, Lord. And now for contentment. The same Lord who enables the Philippians' concernment is the same Lord who empowers Paul's contentment. Contentment, the the two are intertwined. In fact, true concernment for others will not be found where there is no contentment. Point number two, contentment. Back to verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, verse 11, not not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. Now, hold it for just a second, okay. Remember what I've said and what we've said times throughout this passage or this series. Paul is imprisoned on his own dime and the infamous Christian killer, Emperor Nero, will soon decide Paul's case. And if that weren't enough, there are scores of insecure preachers traveling around Rome trying to hijack Paul's influence and kick him while he's down. And yet right here in verse 11, Paul makes clear, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not in need. <laughs> this should astound us a little bit. Paul's got nothing going for him. Look, if there were an award for the neediest person in Rome, he'd be a contender. 
but not according to Paul. And in the second half of verse 11, he clues us in to why. He's learned something. Oh, he's learned to be content. He's learned how to be brought low through the slums of life, verse 12. He's learned how to abound through the mountaintops of life. And he summarizes it in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret that enables me to face plenty, that enables me to face hunger. I have learned the secret that protects me when I have an abundance. And I have learned the secret that sustains me through times of need. The secret is hiding in plain sight. But notice, and we need to understand this, that the secret of contentment is of equal value to the rich and the poor and to everyone between. Because discontentment is like carbon monoxide. It quietly kills everyone by suffocating our time and our focus and our energy. Insert what you will into the blank after I make this comment. I would be a little more secure if only I had. I would be a little more comfortable if only I had. Something's come into each of our minds. I would be a little more accepted if only I had, I would be a little more settled. I might finally be content if I only had blank. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter what you have, discontentment is like an ever-present carrot on a string. After weeks and months and years of striving and reaching for that carrot, we finally reach it only to discover there's another carrot dangling behind it. A true rat race. In his classic book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, 17th century theologian Jeremiah Burroughs writes this. And by the way, I took the old English and I put it into some modern vernacular. The reason we don't have contentment isn't because we don't have enough things. The reason we don't have contentment is because all the things we do have are simply not enough to fill our immortal souls which God fashioned for himself. There's a God-sized hole in all of our souls that nothing will be able to fill. And so we're constantly hungry and thirsty and groping for the new and the next. Modern day theologian Sinclair Ferguson says that Christian contentment then is finding our highest ambition and joy 
and simply belonging to the Lord and being totally at his disposal. This is what the Philippians have learned to do despite their impoverished situation. This is what Paul has learned to do despite being in house arrest at his own expense. This is what my friends Clay and Lauren had learned to do despite their own lack. They were freed to to joyfully show concern for me through Christ who strengthens them. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you, does contentment rise up in you when you are reminded that the Son of God who owns everything, he became poor and needy and then bore yours and my sinful discontentment on the cross in order to free us from its joy-depleting bondage? Does a spirit of contentment come upon you when you think that? Does contentment rise up in you when you are reminded that the Son of God who was buried in the tomb rose from the dead to prove once and for all he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread and the blood of life that whoever repents and turns and forsakes their discontented sin and receives him really will not hunger or thirst, but they shall drink satisfaction to the dregs. Man. I am so quickly given to discontentment. I forget. I'm so nearsighted. Looking at the next thing. I mean, I'm prepping this sermon. I walked to the mailbox and back and saw a new Ford Bronco. Oh, 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 that's it. That's it. And then I start crunching numbers. Okay, how do I? Okay, okay. And I'll be happy if, and okay. It's nonstop. It's nonstop. But for Christ, who enables us, who strengthens us to do, to walk through these seasons, wherever it is that you are, sociopolitically, whatever, is Christ enough? I'll say it this way. He is enough. Are you focusing on his enoughness? I rarely do. And I offer this prayer If you have seasons just like mine, discontent, offer us this prayer. Maybe we should pray some semblance of this every day, several times a day. Lord, I'm desiring this thing or this person or this whatever. I'm desiring it, but I submit it to you. Even these new pair of shoes, Lord, I'm submitting this desire to you. And I ask you, Lord, am I desiring this? Because deep down, I've listened to the serpent's whisper and I've chosen to believe that you alone are not enough for me. And look, there's nothing inherently sinful about a pair of shoes. 
It's the discontented heart behind it. And we can continue to pray and ask the Lord, have I chosen to believe that this thing that I desire right now will somehow bring me the security or comfort or peace or joy or identity or heart happiness that only you can guarantee me? And Lord, if this desire of mine is rooted in discontentment, I ask you to deliver me from it. If this desire of mine is luring me away from a joyful opportunity for concernment, to show my concern for someone else, please reveal it to me. But Lord, and here's the exception clause, Lord, if this desire that I'm experiencing for this, if it would indeed be good for me to have, then open the door and lead me through it. But, 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 don't allow this blessing that is coming to me to terminate with me. Rather, help me to employ this thing that I desire for the good and for the joy of other people around me and for the glory of your name and for the joy of my own heart. Because my worth, my identity, my security, my stability, my whatever is not found in a thing or in a person. It's all found in you. I wonder how much more contented church might be, that our community groups might be, were we to be in the habit of praying that more. Look, I already celebrated. There's loads of concernment for one another going on. Hallelujah. May it increase and may it increase and begin in this way. Lord, make me to be absolutely thankful and happy and settled with the fact that I am your child. Despite any lack of merit that I bring to the table, you have purchased by your son's blood my ability to come in before you like this. And oh, the real body of Christ, the real kingdom that will be um, <coughs> consummated, the real return with real power, the real bodies that we will soon be given, the real glory that will soon be revealed that the now can't hold a candle to. Oh my goodness. Church, let us remind ourselves prayerfully of these things and let us by the strength that God supplies reestablish our identity, our comfort, our strength, our ability, all in who we are in Christ. Yes? We're gonna sing a song together in just a moment. My worth is not in what I own. I asked Ed to lead it and may we sing it or listen to it expectantly, prayerfully, that the Lord might answer us and form in us content hearts because we can do all things through verses taken out of context. Amen. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Father, indeed, it is not to take your word out of context when we look at it from this vantage point that, Lord, because of Christ, because of the surpassing worth of being known by and growing to know Christ, we have and are, we, we have everything that we could possibly need. So Lord, grant to us by your spirit a contentment that breeds concernment, 
that the city of Worcester would, in fact, with just a few people in this room, be turned upside down by the concern that the body of Christ shows for the other. Lord, help us to meet needs. Help us to address lack in others. Help us to prayerfully consider every decision. And next week, we're going to talk about finances. It's in the passage, and I have to talk about it. So help me. <laughs> but Lord, help us to be cons uh, contented and concerned, as we've seen in this passage in Paul, in the Philippians, and in my friends, Clay and Lauren. Thank you that we can ask you these things. And thank you that our worth, our security, our identity is not wrapped up in what we have, but in who you are and who you have made us to be in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.